struggling this morning in that having a Bible reading of two verses. <laughs> but I hope that over these next couple of weeks uh, you, you will see why and just how important this introduction is. Um, and talking to Rod earlier, we were just saying how often when you're doing a study in Scripture, especially epistles, you jump over the intros at the first, you know. But I think you'll see this morning how this intro is desperately important if you're going to understand what the letter is on about, right? And therefore it's important we look at this this morning. Let me pray for us as we start. Loving Father, we thank you that you have spoken clearly to us through your word and through your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ that you've drawn us to yourself, you've made us your own, and you've brought us together as your children, the body of Christ. And we just thank you, Lord, that you've given us the gift of your spirit and that you have promised that as we gather in your name, you are there in the midst, and that as we look to your word, your spirit will open our hearts, open our minds to respond to that word in a way that's going to bring honour and glory to our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, as I started, um, it was an elder brother of mine who got me off to a Sunday school. I came from a, a family that wouldn't see it. It saw itself as Christian, like everyone did then, but never believed anything or went anywhere or read the Bible and so forth. But if you'd said to my father he was not Christian, he would really give you a good punch in the nose. Of course we are. Yeah. But of course I don't believe anything was the same thing with him. Um, and so I went off to Sunday school and then up, uh, coming up into high school in a junior fellowship group that we had. And, and as we studied the scriptures and, and looked at, especially the book of Acts and other things, I always looked upon the early church. And then as I began to, to see how we were behaving and how we were acting within the, within the church and within the fellowship group, I thought if only we could be like the early church. Do you know, it would it, be great if we could just be like them. Then as I got a little bit further on into teenage years, Bible study group and began to read the rest of the New Testament, I realised we are like the early church. Chaotic, useless, rebellious, in a mess. That's what we are. <laughs> and therefore we are the same. There is no great difference here. We are the same. And so that's what the epistles are written with this in mind, with this in mind, the church as it really is today. You know, nothing much has really changed uh, the clothes we wear, the sort of jobs we do, all those externals keep changing. But the heart of man is still the same. It's still the same. And if you notice, the word of God speaks to the heart. It speaks to the heart. Um, I've, I've said to you, I've had the privilege of being in, in many different parts of, of the world and in, in, in many odd places that I've gone, uh, and where I am with God's people in those places and sitting with them, and in most places someone is translating for me to, uh, because of all totally different languages, etc. But as they're translating and as I'm listening, I realise that, yes, God's word is, is speaking to their hearts as it speaks to mine. Do you know? in that language it's speaking you know, to them and that's because God knows the heart and aims at the heart you know? and therefore it is extremely relevant. That same scripture is relevant no matter what the culture basically is, no matter what food they eat, no matter what clothes they wear etc or jobs they do. Um, it goes to the very heart of each one of us. 
And because God knows the heart, it's really only God who can come up with the cure that we need because of sin and rebellion that's cut us off from him. It's only God who can come up and bring to us the way of salvation. Now we're going to list, the book of Jude divides into three bits. And the first bit here is, is the introduction. And I think there's three words that I'm keen that we leave today that are in our heads. Called, loved, kept. Okay, three words, called, loved, kept. Next week, we're looking at Jesus Christ, our only Saviour and Lord. He talks about contending for the gospel. And the final week is, but you, dear friends. If you notice how many of the epistles, the issues being talked about, and then, then the writer says, now, as for you, as for you. Uh, when Paul's writing to Timothy, he talks about general things. He says, but as for you, Timothy, uh, and so here in Jude, he's saying the same thing. Now, but as for you, in the midst of all of this, how are we to live? How are we to behave? So Jude begins his letter, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, kept for Jesus Christ, Mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. So the writer gives his name up front. The name is Jude. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ and I'm a brother of James. In the, in the, in the Greek, Jude is known as Judas. In the Hebrew, it's Judah and it's more in English that we use Jude. So it's exactly the same name in different forms. And he calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, having just come through Christmas, we've got some idea afresh of who Jesus Christ is and who, what Jesus means and what Christ means. Jesus is the one, the one who is going to come, who is going to be the saviour. Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah. That Jesus is the one, the promised saviour, the promised one who's going to come and save his people. He is saviour and Lord and he's the suffering servant. So Jude speaks of himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and we know what he means by those words. But he calls himself a servant, a servant. Um, it's interesting that the, the, the Greek word used here is a word called doulos and that word is slave. That word is slave. And we are reluctant in English translations to put the word slave and we keep putting the English word servant instead. Um, and I kept thinking, no, 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 we've got to go back and use slave, which is the word that's used here. Because servant means that I could be paid by someone to be the servant. Am I right? That's, you know, I've got certain duties, certain hours and so forth. Where the word doulos slave means... I'm owned by, 100%, I'm owned by, I am 100% committed. So when you read here in, in most of the New Testament where it's talking about servant, the, the real word is slave, 100% owned. Recognise Jesus, he recognises Jesus as servant, as Christ and Lord. He recognises Jesus as the Son of God, Jude does, and we're here that we, he realises that he's been bought with a price and that he gave his life a ransom for many. 
He's willing to be 100% committed to Christ. You know, we're either, it boils down, we're either a slave to sin, that's of self and selfishness, or we're a slave to God in Christ Jesus and to know the freedom that we have in Christ. And he says, as well as this, that he's a brother of James. Now, the early church would know exactly who he's talking about because James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so the readers would recognise this straight away. And so Jude and James are stepbrothers of Jesus. Right? Stepbrothers of Jesus. And James, when he's writing, and you read the epistle of James, he talks about himself being a slave of Jesus Christ. That same word, committed recognising that Jesus is the Son of God, he is Christ and he is Lord. The most valuable relationship that Jude says that he has is to be the slave of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. So if you want to say, if you ask Jude, what is your most important relationship, he would say, my commitment to Jesus as Lord and Christ. That's who I am. I've got lots of other relationships. Husband, father, brother, all the grandfather, all the rest of them. I've got all these other relationships and they're all great relationships but they, they all come out of this primary relationship. They're all related through my primary relationship to Jesus as Lord and as Christ. That's my most valuable relationship. Jude then talks about who he's writing to. And remember in these letters we have to remember he's writing to the body of Christ, people together are reading the letter. So who are the receivers of this letter? Well, it's to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. This, this is a wonderful description of what is a Christian, isn't it? It's a wonderful description. If you're going to describe, okay, you, you tell me I'm a Christian, okay, what does that mean? What does it mean? Describe what that means. Well, Jude said the description is, I am called, I am loved, I am kept. That describes who I am in Christ Jesus. To those who have been called. Well, that word for the early Christians would take their mind back to the book of Genesis and the chapter we read this morning, Genesis chapter 12, the chapter is of Abraham being called by God. Abraham, God calls Abraham to leave where he is, to come to a country that he doesn't know but God is going to give him and God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. That means I'm going to make myself known to you. I'm going to make myself known to you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to have a personal relationship with you. And through you, I'm going to bless the nations on earth. I'm going to draw a people to myself. We've just been drawing about, seeing about Abraham, isn't it? And the family of Abraham. Those who are called and blessed as Abraham was called and blessed. So God calls Abraham 
we then come along a little bit further and we read that God calls his people out of Egypt and brings them through the wilderness and brings them into the promised land. When we come into the Gospels, Jesus calls the 12, to, the 12 disciples to follow him. He calls us out of darkness into light. He calls all to repent and to believe the gospel. You notice there's one consistent thing that's happening with this all the way through. This is 100% God's action. It is God who is calling. If God did not call, then we would never know him. If God had never revealed himself, made himself known, we would never know him. Now, that's not any logical thing at all. The only way we can really know each other is spend time talking to each other, isn't it? Isn't it words where you get to know someone? Because although I might be able to draw a picture of you, I've got a picture of you in my mind, but does that mean I really know you? No, no, no. The real you is that from within, isn't it, of how you think, how you behave, what, what your action, where you are within yourself. That's the real you. And we get to know each other by spending time with each other. And we get to know each other by spending time and listening to each other. And here it is, God's action in calling us to himself, making himself known in Christ. He calls us. He calls us to himself. He has chosen to make himself known to us. He reveals himself in and through his word and in and through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and he makes us his own possession. He breaks into our lives to call us to himself. I had the wonderful opportunity and the wonderful privilege of, of being the General Secretary of CMS for a number of years, Church Missionary Society. And the key role of, of the CMS Secretary is, is sitting with people who want to come in and talk about the possibility of missionary service. And there'd be 100 to 200 a year who would come in when I was GenSec to talk about. They were just tossing it around, do, do you know, as, as, as a thought sort of thing. And so there were lots of people that I, that I over those 15 years that I met. Um, and I do find it a bit scary sometimes in that I can be in strange places and someone says to me, yes, Peter, I met you. I came and talked to you when you were a general secretary. And I thought, oh, okay, well, what did I encourage you to do? <laughs> what, what happened? What won't tell me what happened, good or bad here? Uh, but, but each one, I got to share how they came to know the Lord. No two stories ever the same. No two stories ever the same. Can you see how that impact, impacted me? Do you know, to realise that God calls us individually. Do you? Individually. And it's only once we've been called and respond that we, all of a sudden we realise we're in a group together. You know, we're, we're in a family. You know? But God reaches out and breaks into your life and it was amazing the way God breaks into people's lives in such different ways. But it's the same God who breaks in and who makes himself known to us. God in Christ reaching out to us. It is God who has called us. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour today, it's because God. That's what it is. 
I'm, I'm afraid you're nothing special as far as we're all concerned here. We're all the same. In God's sight, extremely special. But there's nothing special within you that God reached out to you. He did. Why? Because God loved you. The God the Father loves you. We're called and we're loved. We're loved. It's interesting, the, 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 um, part of the, the word, uh, the noun, the, so the verb love here is, is in a perfect participle. What, what it means is, is that something happened in the past. It happened, it was complete, it was done. But you now live in the light of that. It doesn't change from now on. This is now what's happened and this is what's now going to be part of your life forever now. It's going to remain consistent. So it's a point where God loved you and that love is going to stay consistent, consistent all the time. That's the concept of, of the word that's used here. So who am I? I'm the one who is called. I'm the one who is loved by God. God the Father has committed himself to me. Isn't that staggering? God the Father has committed himself to me. He's chosen to enter into a personal relationship with me. And he's demonstrated that love for me in the gift of his son through his life and death and resurrection. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You know, that verse we know so well, and I think we miss often of how mind-blowing that really is. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, said, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, anti-God, rebellious against God, Christ died for us. And the concept of loved here is a love that enfolds. So not just something that's just given, I love you, but it's one that enfolds. That's the concept that's given here. The creator, the sustainer of the earth, knows me, loves me in Christ Jesus, and the whole thing is God's action for me. And that's why John, when he's writing his letter to the early Christians, says, it's not that I love him, it's that he loves me me it's not that i know god as the most important the most important is that god knows me that god knows me and loves me it's amazing how although as i've said many times it's easier for god sometimes than other times in that he even has the hairs of our head numbered so for some of us, that's not a big problem for God to do. <laughs> but for those, it is a bigger problem for him to do, right? But it's all individual again. Isn't it? The concept of that was to give the individual, to, you know, to know, yeah, we're, we're not all the same number. Do, do you know? And he knows us individually and he loves us individually. So where is your sense of security, your sense of identity? It's wonderful if you know it's because we know that God loves me. And God has called me. And we're also kept. There's even more as he's kept. We're kept in Christ Jesus 
for Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus. You can use either of those there and, and it fits. We're kept. And here again, it's the same concept. It's something that's happened. It's done. It's, it's fully done. But the, the, it's not going to, it, that's a relationship we're now going to have forever. You know, that's, that, that's in which we now live. That's who we now are. The ones who are kept. And kept is going to pop up a number of times in Jude. It's coming up as very special in Jude. And that we're kept and we're preserved, we're being preserved for the day of Christ's return, we're going to read as we move through Jude. But we're kept for, in, by Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep. I know my sheep and my sheep know me and none will be able to pluck them out of my hand. The assurance of complete security in Christ Jesus, no matter what happens. As the psalmist said, when, I've, when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, which will happen, I, I'm okay because I know you are with me. You are with me. And this is the concept we are the sheep. We are in the sheep's hands no matter what is taking place. The awareness of total security is here. No matter what comes our way, we're in the hands of the Saviour, in the hands of the shepherd. Our relationship as God's children is secure in Christ. It's based on God having called us and loved us and him actually holding and keeping us. We're ultimately in the hands of the good shepherd. There will be persecution. There will be false teachers in the church, as we're going to read as we come through the next part of Jude. There's going to be lots of ups and downs in our own lives. We're going to be emotionally running in one direction. Emotionally, we're going to go to another. Uh, we're going to have good times. We're going to have bad times. We're going to have sad times. We're going to have great joyous times. That, that's part of being a human being, you know. Uh, but to realise that in the midst of all of this, we are called, we're loved, and we're kept. That's God's description as he looks upon us, as the one he's called, the one he's loved, the one who he's kept. It's a wonderful description, isn't it? It's just something that, it's one of those things that I used to think years ago, I used to think, okay, there are certain things that I need written on the ceiling above my bed. That's where it needs to be, in very big letters, right? So that when I wake up, that's one of the first things that I'm reminded of, rather than other things around me, you know. And called, loved, kept would be three great words, wouldn't they? To be put up on the ceiling. And then he t there's a word of blessing, there's like a prayer. May mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. So what he's saying, may those who are called and loved and kept be overflowing in abundance, overflowing with mercy and peace and love. And what is mercy, peace and love? The only way we know mercy, peace and love is to know God because God is the God of mercy and of peace and of love. And so what this, is, what this blessing is really saying, as, as you are called and, and as you are called and loved 
and kept. And as you, that relationship with God grows and mature, then may the, the, may the presence of God himself so fill your life that it's filled with mercy, peace and love because that's who God is. And as mercy, peace and love is demonstrated in your life, it demonstrates that when you claim to be called and loved and kept, there is a reality. It's really the, the mark of whether you are real in Christ or just a fake in Christ. You know? And mercy, peace and love. You know, mercy, um, we're back again where, where English isn't too good. Um, mercy, in English we think of pity, uh, compassion, do you know? Where in the Hebrew it means a lot more than that. It doesn't just mean that at all. In the Old Testament, God we're taught that God is committed to judgment. We have rebelled and sinned against him. He is a holy God and sin and, and rebellion cannot be in his presence. So he's committed to judgment. But God is a God committed to judgment who is also committed to mercy. And it's because him that we have rebelled, he is the only one who can show and demonstrate mercy. No one else can demonstrate that. And we're talked, he's talked about being rich in mercy and that he delights in mercy. He delights to rescue, to bring a people to himself. Although we're justly under judgment through repentance and forgiveness and through the death and resurrection of Christ, and this is the divine initiative opening the door that we might know him, that mercy would be something that we understand and something we experience and something of de describes who we are. And then from mercy flows peace. The peace Mercy emanates in peace. That which was separated has been joined back together. Christ is the reconciler, the redeemer, the buying back, the bringing back into that personal relationship again. The price has been paid. On the cross when he cried, it is finished, paid in full, paid in full, redeemed in full. And we're back, we're, a close personal relationship is renewed with God the Father and that should give us a quiet and contented spirit. And this peace, this peace is to flow out, especially within the body of Christ. That's when Paul, writing to the Romans, says, if possible, as far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. And for mercy and peace comes love. Only knowing and enjoying God's mercy and peace can we know God's love. And we pray the prayer that Jude offers here is the prayer that we may overflow with mercy, peace and love. You know, as I've thought about this, this word abundance has the concept that the cup is full. Nothing more, if you put something more in, something has to come out. You're, the cup is full. That's what it means by abundance. And what he's saying is that may God's love, mercy, peace and love so fill you that there's no room for moaning. There's no room for complaining. You know all those things we're good at? That there's no room of feeling I'm the poor victim, I'm the one who... You know, all, all the terrible things. There's no room for that because your life is filled 
with God's mercy, peace and love. Well, what words would you use to describe yourself? What words would you describe what it means to be a Christian? What, what, what is it? What, is it? How would, what words would you use, just a couple of words, to bring it together? Well, Jude uses the words that in Christ Jesus, remember that we are called, remember that we're loved, and remember that we're kept. They're three great words, aren't they? That somehow we should have, oh, not into tattoos, but it wouldn't be bad to have it on a tattoo or the back of your hand or something. Called, loved and kept. And to remember that the result of that, the presence of God and through his spirit and through Christ Jesus in our hearts and lives means that we are now God's people and he fills our heart and life and it's with mercy and peace and love. And that's where I want to focus my whole attention so that all these other things of selfishness and, and rebellion, that they have no room, they have no place, because my life is so filled. Let me pray. Father, it is just really amazing when we stop and think that as we look around each other, all different backgrounds, from lots of different families, lots of different places. And yet here we are sitting together this morning with one heart and with one mind. And why is that? Father, help us to remember it's nothing special in ourselves. It's because you reached out and called us. That you reached out and loved us in your son and that you've reached out promising to keep us as our Lord Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Father, may mercy, peace and love fill our hearts and minds in abundance day by day that we may truly live lives that reflect who we are, who we claim to be, the servants, the slaves of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. So, so Patty, are you saying that us ball guys are actually doing